Hello, and welcome to episode 12 of The Modern Manager. I'm your host, Mamie Canfor-Stewart. Before I jump into today's episode, I have a few quick announcements. First, a shout out to Charles C., who joined the Modern Manager community on Patreon. If you are not a member yet, you should go check it out. It's where I provide all of my robust resources that help you implement the practices and the topics that we talk about on the show. There are also other great perks like group and solo coaching calls with me and some other fun stuff. So please do yourself a favor, check it out. It's at patreon.com slash modern manager. And the link is in the show notes, of course. Second, you have all been so wonderful to send me emails and messages on LinkedIn about how much you are enjoying the podcast. Well, I recently learned that the best thing a fan can do is to leave a review and a rating on iTunes. When you do this, it actually helps other people find the Modern Manager show and know that it's worth listening to, which is really important because we need more wonderful managers in the workplace. So I have a challenge and a giveaway. I have two goals for this challenge. Number one, to get at least 100 ratings. And number two, to get at least 20 reviews on iTunes. So for each of these goals, if we reach them, I will give away a complimentary 30-minute coaching call with me. So what does this mean? Well, if you write a review on iTunes, take a screenshot before you submit it so I can see that you're the one actually typing it and sending it in, and then email it to me. My email will be in the show notes, and it's on my website. If the modern manager gets 20 reviews and you have sent me an email showing me that you are part of one of those, I will select one person from that list at random for a 30-minute coaching call. As for the ratings, if the modern manager gets over 100 ratings, and they don't need to be five stars, I hope you like it so much that you'll give it five stars, but give whatever rating you feel is appropriate. But if we get at least 100 ratings, I'll pick one person at random from my email subscriber list for a 30-minute coaching call. So if you're not on my email list, you can join at my website, mamieks.com. You have gotten until midnight Eastern time on Sunday, August 12th to make that happen. So I hope that you will help me reach these goals and I hope that you will get a free coaching call because I would love to talk with you. Okay, enough with announcements. My guest today is Daniel Stillman. Daniel is a conversation designer. As a coach and consultant, he helps teams and organizations, big and small, move conversations forward about product innovation, culture, and collaboration. He is currently working on his second book, Nine Conversations, about the various types of conversations we have in life. Daniel and I talk about so much cool stuff. What does it mean to design a conversation? How do you invite someone into a conversation so they feel wanted and engaged? How can you get people to share what they're thinking honestly? And so much more. Now here is my interview with Daniel. You're listening to The Modern Manager, a podcast dedicated to helping you be a rock star boss with a thriving team. Whether you're looking to upgrade your meetings, cultivate your team, or grow as a leader, this podcast is for you. Let's get into the show. Thank you so much for joining me today, Daniel. I am excited to have you on the call because we've talked multiple times in the past about meetings and conversations, all this kind of cool stuff, but we've never actually really gotten to have a conversation like we're about to have today. Yeah, I'm excited. It's always nice to talk to a fellow productivity dork, 
I guess I'd say. <laughs> I will take that with pride. I it like is, it. yeah, 100% pride. All right, so let's start by setting the stage here because you call yourself a conversation designer. And yes. I'm guessing that most people don't know what that is. And when we first connected, I didn't know what that is. So uh-huh. why don't you tell us, what is conversation design and what it is that you you do with this? So first of all, thanks for having me on. And like you said, that is, it is fun to have like an official conversation. <laughs> so I really, I'm excited to dig into this stuff because one of the things I've realized is that there are some people who take this stuff really seriously and there are some people who think it's weird to take it seriously. And mm-hmm. so it's really nice to be, to be with someone who geeks out on this stuff because I think the little, the little things matter when you're doing this stuff and bringing people together is, is the most important thing we do. So yeah, so for me, my journey into conversation design, I come from a design background and I was a design facilitator and I was teaching design thinking and getting teams to think together and make great decisions together as you know, they bring me in when they had hard decisions to manage. And I was lucky to, enough to work with a group in Australia, I guess this is 2015, and they called what they did, which is what we did, conversation design. And when I first heard that, I thought it was like a little pompous a little douchey, but it kind of woke me up to this idea that sometimes people would be like, Hey, so we've got an agenda. We just need you to come and facilitate it. And I'm like, that's not how it works. I need to understand where you are and where you need to go to and what the change that you want to see in your group permanently after we work together is. And that is designing the conversation so that the conversation can shift. And honestly, just sort of woke me up to the idea that well, if that's a conversation, if a group of people is a conversation, then what other things are conversations? And so I've been on a journey for the last couple of years with my podcast to talk to people who design team conversations and people who design organization conversations and just trying to see what's behind all the complexity, what's true about conversations in all these contexts. So that's a big context. But for me, conversation design is something we're all doing. Like, even just in a negotiation with your mom to borrow the car, like that's a conversation you design. You try to make it seem like, well, it'll be a great thing for me to do. And, oh, you, you know, oh, well, you, you go through these processes where you try to find an entry point into the conversation that's going to get you what you need and get you connected to the person you want to be connected to. So that's the way I look at it. So I love the way you say that, like every conversation, you know, we're designing intentionally or maybe unintentionally or maybe consciously or unconsciously how we're going to manage the conversation. So can you talk a little bit about some of the different factors that you consider when you're thinking about the conversation and how to design it to get to that outcome? Well, so I think the first thing, and I think this goes to a lot of the, the, the meeting stuff that you dig into on some of the episodes I've listened to, which is that first you have to find out if it's your responsibility or if you have permission to design it, it's really hard to design a meeting that isn't your meeting. Uh, and I'm sure this is, this is, this has happened, right? When, if somebody's not designing their meetings well, how do you get them to sort of get to good behaviors? You have to do that in a really delicate way. I heard uh, the the conversation you had with, with Dory Clark, where it's like, well, I'm not sure if I need to 
be here. Like, can you give me the information about the meeting? So like, I don't know, maybe an agenda or something so that I would know if it was a good place to be or not. And that's designing the conversation with somebody in a way that is invitational. You don't want to be confrontational. That's the thing that I sort of realized very early on is that any conversation starts with an invitation. And it has to start with an invitation because the truth of the world is that everyone is fundamentally at liberty to do what they want. I think we, th we think we have to do things, but the truth is, especially in today's modern workplace, people do not have to stay in a job if they do not want to. If they're a talented person, they can go elsewhere. Uh, if they don't want to come to a meeting, they, you actually literally can't make them come. And so you have to make something inviting. You have to make something invitational. And you have to treat somebody like they are an actual free, independent person who is responsible for their own actions. Then they're, they may be willing to come and give you their time and give you their energy. I think of it as like the push versus pull culture thing, right? If, if you push something on people, it gets rejected. If you find a way to pull them in, that's a great way to get people to actually accept it. Well, and I had um, a client tell me once when I suggested they make their weekly team meeting optional, they're like, but then no one will come. I was like, <laughs> well, then maybe you shouldn't have it. Right. But you have a bigger problem. If the only way you can get people to come is by making it mandatory, then that means that there's a, a deeper a deeper issue with your invitation because people have two feet and they can walk where they want to walk. If they were, if they're not walking towards you, that's a bigger problem. Yes. And that's a big invitation to say yourself, like, how might we make this optional meeting something that people are lining up around the door for? Like, it's a weird question, but it's like, how, how could we make this meeting something that people really, really want to be a part of? Yeah. Well, and how do you do that in conversations? Is there are times where you are, you're sitting down for a conversation or you need to have a conversation and you know it's going to be difficult and you know yes. it's going to... Maybe, you know, maybe be painful for you, maybe be painful yes. for the other people. What do you yeah. do in those? So I, I believe one of the best conversation designers I know is Dan Savage. I don't know if you listen to his podcast, Savage Love, but people call in with relationship problems and he helps them. He's awesome. I've been reading his column since it was, you know, this in the village voice when I was in high school and people call in and they've got these like, my boyfriend does this and I don't know how to bring it up with that. And he's like, look, this is this person that you're super intimate with. And yet you don't feel comfortable telling them that they're hurting you or that you're worried they're going to be embarrassed. The cost of not saying something is much higher. I think than the cost of saying something in negotiation, they call it naming the game. So you have to say, Hey, so this is what's going to happen. Like we're going to have a hard conversation or, you know, I have a few things that I want to talk to you about, and I'm hoping to get to this goal. I think one of the things I've heard in a lot of your conversations about meetings is that the purpose is the most important thing. And I think it, making something inviting means taking the purpose and putting it in terms, not, not in your own terms, but in terms that the other person can understand and can benefit from, right? Like what's the, what's the, how does the purpose fit into their mental model? So I put invitation at the center of my conversation operating system. It's what starts all conversations. But one of the things that's attached, what that like a conversation is, is, is defined by a thread. It's weirdly enough a technical term, but it's also something that like you're familiar with. Like you, a conversation has a thread. It picks up the thread. I think the best way to bring somebody into a conversation 
is to sort of paint that big arc for them to say, here are these three things I want to talk about. And this is where I want to get to. Does that sound like something that can work for you? The worst thing you can do is get a text message from somebody saying, we have to talk or we need to talk because your blood, free my blood freezes. I don't know. Does your blood <laughs> freeze? Cause you're like, we need to talk about what, what is it we need to talk about? Like, just give me a little bit more. You can't just call somebody in your office and be like, so we've got, we've heard some issues. It's like when I get a phone call from my kid's school and their phone number pops up, like the first thing I think is like, oh my gosh, my child like fell off the playground and broke her arm. You know, and the first thing, literally the first thing they say when you answer their phone is they say, hi, your child is fine. And then they tell you whatever it is they need to tell you because they know there are certain, right. There are just certain things that that produce anxiety in us no matter what. So that kind of that text or that email that says, hey, I need to talk to you about something important. Like that is just going to produce anxiety when you, that's not the way you want to start your conversation. Right. And we, and if you're bringing your whole self to work as I do, like I really believe in what I do and I bring a lot of energy to it. And when somebody has an issue with it, it feels like they have an issue with me. And I think we have to acknowledge that if we are going to call someone in for some negative feedback, we have to make sure that they feel taken care of as a person. And that all goes into invitation and saying, hey, listen, so there's some stuff I want to talk about, but here's the overarching purpose. And I think it's going to be okay. Are you, are you in? Are you cool with that? I think we sometimes feel like if we give people the big arc and, and take a step back, it's like giving away too much, but it makes people feel secure. And that's important. Are there other pieces of the conversation kind of once you get past that imitation and the person's kind of ready to engage, what comes next? <laughs> well, so this is funny because this this is a lot like the piece I kind of wrote for your blog a way back. The the application of experience design to conversations, the five E's of experience design actually work pretty well here. So this idea of enticing people to enter into a world that you are creating and to engage with something you want them to engage with, the last quarter or third of five E's of experience design is is to manage the exit and to think about how to extend that experience. And so when I'm thinking about a conversation that I want to have lasting impact, you just, you just need to consider the fact of what the exit is going to be like, what you want to close with, how to make sure you land on the purpose, and then what next steps are going to be. I, this is not particularly revolutionary stuff. You talk about this all the time in your blogs and on the episodes you've been recording so far, but for me, this idea of opening, exploring, and closing, or enticing, entering, engaging, exiting, and extending, just the wave-like form of conversations makes me focus on the sort of the, I don't know, it's a very Zen yin and yang. And I just, it's a, it's a, there's a human flow to it where you're like, okay, so now we're in the close. Like, where do we want to get to with this? I've been trying to think about why I find the idea of conversations being everywhere so attractive. And I think it's because conversations feel human to me. And it's a way of taking all of this technical aspects of meetings and organizational change and just grounding it in human behavior. Well, so like, let's make this really real because one of the questions I get asked a lot by managers is around meetings where they feel like they want their team to push back and. Oh, yes. Yeah. 
ask, not just take, okay, the manager gave us this idea, we have to do it, but to really like engage in that healthy, constructive debate. And it seems to be really hard to get people to, to do that, to be vulnerable, especially in a team setting and say, I'm not sure I like that idea and here's why, or, well, we can mm-hmm. do that, but here's maybe some unintended consequences. Are there elements to facilitation and to conversation design that can help take people through that arc of the conversation so that they feel more engaged, safer to share more critical thinking? Yeah, this is a really big and super important question because every culture is going to be different. Some cultures are, it's hard to get honest negative feedback. And in other cultures, it's hard to get positive feedback. And so you need to figure out where you are. And over the years, I've used lots of different narrative frameworks to help people enter into this idea, to, to invite them into this idea of critique. And back in my design gym days, we were really into this idea of pluses and deltas, which I borrowed from Dave Gray's book, Game Storming, which was a wonderful seminal book for me. And I love the idea of pluses and deltas because you talk about things that are working first, using some of the ideas of appreciative inquiry to focus on, okay, here's what's good about it. And now we're not going to talk about negatives. We're going to talk about deltas, which is the Greek symbol for change. We're going to talk about what we might change about it to make it better. And I think what's great about pluses and deltas is that you're not just focusing on the negative. You're not just focusing on the positive. You're doing both. But there's actually a a framework that I use a lot in my facilitation work now Uh, The last couple of years, I've been doing a lot of work with the Luma system of design thinking, which is a really, really simple and and powerful architecture of design thinking. One of their critique formats is using Rose Thorn Bud, which you may have experienced because it's really popular with the Boy Scouts of America, and a lot of kids have been trained on it. Rose Thorn Bud is one of the most amazing ways of getting adults to give good coaching feedback, give product feedback, give feedback on anything, because you are starting with the positive. You want to talk about something good before you get into the shitstorm. You start with the roses. Some, you have to start with something good about it. Then you talk about the thorns. You definitely have to talk about what's not working about it. And then you talk about buds, something, some potential, a little seed of goodness in the idea or concept that with some thought or development could be transformed into a rose. What's amazing about Rose Thorn Bud is that I hand out sticky notes that are three different colors and we take time, silent time for everyone to write down two roses, two thorns and two buds. This does a bunch of things. It gives people time to think, which they never have at work. The other thing it does is that we demand quality. Everyone's going to write down two pieces of feedback of all types and we're going to put it up on the wall and we're going to consider all of it. It's also a great feedback loop because when I'm coaching somebody and I'm only producing thorns and buds, it makes me wake up and realize, wow, I need to make sure that I'm giving them some roses about their work because people need to hear what's going right. I think you actually talked about this in one of your episodes where people, what, what is it? One to five people need to get like five pieces of positive feedback for every one piece of negative feedback they receive. Was that, did I remember that correctly? Yeah, that was, I, I did mention it. it wasn't my research, but it's, I mentioned it in the episode on appreciation because it's such a crazy yeah. ratio. So. Yeah. So I think, I think there's this idea that, oh, we need to focus on negative feedback and being honest about our negativity. But I think it's the flip side 
of of appreciation. It's the if you're going to do a proper critique, you want to start with what's working. You want to focus on what's broken, and then you want to think about what's what has potential. And just creating that space to do all three is going to give you a balanced critique of whatever it is you're trying to do. And it's going to make it easier for people who are, some of whom are not comfortable with negativity and some of whom are not comfortable with positivity to give you both. Yeah. I really like that idea of requiring two sticky notes for each. And there are definitely times where I've been in sessions like that and I'm like, I can't think of a second thing. I don't know what to write, which is a little stressful, but (laughs) at the same time, what it avoids is getting five sticky notes on what you like and zero on what yes. you on what you don't like, which 100%. is, you know, what I think for many people we tend to do or the opposite is you're saying, like for some people actually finding positives in an idea can be challenging and yes. they, and they get that reputation for being the person who's always the downer. <laughs> who's like, well, we don't have to say anything bad because we know that Bill is going to like bring up all the problems with ideas. So yeah. I lets me off the hook because he's going to do it. And that's not right. how it should be. We should all be no. sharing in that yeah. thinking. And we all have different perspectives. I agree. And I and and I always tell people like I ask for two in hopes that I get one. Sometimes I'll ask for three thinking I'll get one or two. It's it's not about putting pressure on people, but it's providing the opportunity for them to to give feedback. I think if you're going to do critique, doing it physically, writing it down is one of the best ways to do it. Because then even if you don't have time to go through everybody's feedback, it's there, it's written, and it, um, it can slow down some of the power dynamics that happen. It's like you said, some guy who tends to be, and usually it's a guy who tends to be the, the critical loudmouth. You can say, well, I really appreciate your two pieces of feedback. Look at all of this other feedback from everyone else that we need to get to, Bill. Can we move on? Is that cool? Thank you so much. Sorry about that. So important. Um, in addition to writing, you've written articles about using drawing in meetings to help facilitate or in conversations. Yes. Talk about this visual drawing stuff. Well, here's the thing, Mamie, like conversations have an interface. You and I are having the interface for our conversation right now is Uber Conference, and it works pretty good. We're not using the chat window or anything else right now, but we, we could be drawing, we could be doing all sorts of things in the Uber Conference. And there's some people who use things like mural, other things to have their conversations with. And when you start using an online whiteboard for your remote conversations, it it changes the conversation. It's not just a phone call. And drawing makes this new interface for the conversation. I think it gets people to like go back to their childhoods and to loosen up a little bit. One of my favorite ways to get a group to warm up is to just draw your blank. So I'll get people to draw their job or draw the ideal customer or draw the ideal experience, whatever it is we're there to tackle. We get, I just get some people to draw something and we get it up on the wall and then it gives us lots of material to unpack and talk about. It gets people thinking, it gets, it gets people into a fun zone. And it, if you get them to draw something like draw the ideal customer experience or draw our ideal customer, then you've got this amazing wall of data to work through over time. It's, it's tremendous. I can actually tell Uh, you a story about that if you're. Yes, yes, please. So my, my favorite design thinking coachy is my girlfriend, Janet, who over the two years that we've been dating, I've sort of like slowly introduced her to more and more design thinking and, 
this is like maybe like less than six months into our relationship. She had a, a meeting scheduled for some software training and the software fell through. Like the person couldn't be there. She's like, I've got an all hands staff meeting. She, she was managing a winery for her family at the time. She's like, I've got an all hands. It's hard to get everybody's time. I don't want to waste the fact that everybody's on the schedule. What should we do? I, I don't know what to do. And I was like, Hey, you know, you could do this thing, like draw your ideal customer. And she got her, she got everyone drawing who the ideal customer for the winery was. And they had this amazing conversation about how they should be focusing on selling that person and how they should be uh, approaching and sort of retargeting them. It just got everyone from the, the frontline staff to the winemakers thinking about who did they really want to be experiencing their wine. And I don't think they could have had that conversation in the same way without the drawing because one person would talk for a long time or one person wouldn't feel comfortable talking, but everyone can draw like a five-year-old and everyone puts it up on the wall and then you have the conversation and it's just the information's right there. I was like super like extra in love with her when I was like, you're willing to like just go into a meeting <laughs> with like 30 minutes of me just explaining this to you and just getting everyone to draw. It was, I was super impressed. I love it. And I love that it basically shows too that this is not hard stuff. Like, not. you know, you don't have to have tons of training and facilitation. You don't have to be really experienced to be able to take some of these techniques. Everyone can draw. You can put out a prompt and have people spend a couple of minutes drawing and then use that as the conversation starter and having people engage in pairs or groups or as a whole explaining what they drew and digging into the content. And like that's that this this can be an easy next step for your meetings or for your conversations. I think so. It sounds like you've dabbled in a little bit of uh, meeting drawing, Amy. Well, I have an arts background, so anytime I get to draw is a good day at work. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's awesome. <laughs> I agree. So I have a, a maybe a funny question, but are there ever times where you would say, this is a conversation that you don't want to design where you really yeah. want to go in with a total open mind blank slate, you know, not having yeah. done this, this kind of thinking ahead of time. Sure. I'm a big fan of improv, but you know, even with improv, there's like structures to improv. So it's a challenge. I think the, the, this came up very early on in my conversation design research. I think one of the best examples of over-designed conversations is like, asking someone to marry you. I don't know if you've ever seen, there's this, there's a cell phone case where the ring pops out. So you can, a guy can get on his knees and then like open up a cell phone case and the ring is inside, like right at a uh, camera level. So he can like take a selfie of her, like while he's asking her to marry him. And this is like, I, I heard you like suck some air in because you're like, ah, I think that's a little much, right? I think that's over designing this very intimate, experience like i'm sure somebody designed that product thinking that somebody would buy it i'm sure lots of people have bought it but like that's a little too much and i think sometimes i look at some meetings in and i don't want to denigrate like holacracy or the idea of you know meetings that have steps but sometimes you just need to have open dialogue right you can you can actually design a conversation so much that no real connection happens and I think that's a big danger with process facilitation because I can fill a half a day with all these activities and it can seem fun, but people maybe never had a chance to really sit down and connect with someone and really talk about what's challenging about the ideas and talk about the, the blocks to making it happen. 
you got to make sure that there's time to dig into that stuff and to have the real conversation. And honestly, you can't really design that. That's just two people talking. You can say, here, talk about this. But if you don't give them the space and time to do it, it's not going to happen. And that'd be a huge missed opportunity. Amazing. It's so much more we could keep going on to, but we're going to run out of time here. So a couple yeah. last questions. First, as you know, this is called the modern manager. And so yes. I'm hoping you can tell us about one of your best or favorite managers. Oh man, I knew this question was coming and it's so hard. I haven't had like a real job in six years. <laughs> it's <laughs> like, it's, it's, I'm like, oh my God, this is a tough one. <laughs> but I have a really good relationship with the Luma Institute right now. I, I, I've been working with them for two years as a freelance consultant and doing, doing trainings with them all over the world. They've been, it's been an amazing relationship with them. And John West, who is, was one of the guys who taught me the system and was sort of my first coach in the system and is my, you know, he's head of, he's head of global sales and he's my consigliere on this stuff. And we don't talk often. So in a way, like he's not like in my daily life. He's, I talk to him like once a month or four, uh, we text a lot, but he's there for me when I need to talk. I know that he's he's not always, uh, he's a busy guy. But when I need him, I know I can ask for it. And I know that he's there to to talk to me. And, and what I really like about John is that he allowed me to disagree with him. You know, when I first worked with him, I was like, I don't understand how you structure it this way. Why is it this way? So he grounded our conversations in, in reality. He shared his side. He loved my side. And he's one of the few people who have... I've had a professional relationship with where I feel like I respect him and he respects me, right? He, he feels like he's learned as much from me as I've learned from him. And that's a really, a really lucky thing. And I'm glad to be able to have him in my corner. Awesome. That's so wonderful. It makes me so happy to hear about and, and like everything about that. Okay. So as we wrap up, shout out for your podcast, The Conversation Factory, because it's awesome. Hey, thanks. And you have a book that you are working on. Tell us all about the book. Yeah. So this is like in the, in the interest of like lean and agile, I got invited to participate in a book proposal competition that launches August one. And it's basically all of the frameworks that I've been doing research on through the podcast for the last two years. And I'm really excited to finally start sharing it openly. I feel like it's been a lot of these frameworks have been in the background as I've been talking to people and while I've been working with my clients and the opportunity, as I'm sure you know, with writing a book, the opportunity to put it in a, in a clear framework and in a, in a clear way for people to start experiencing and enjoying it is really, really exciting. And so I'm working with a a, a platform called Publishizer, which is kind of like Kickstarter for books. And August, I'm running a pre-launch. And based on how how the pre-sales go, they'll introduce me to certain different tiers of publishers. So it's actually kind of an interesting, exciting way to release a book into the world in an iterative sort of prototype form. So that's a really, it's a really interesting adventure starting tomorrow. Well, when this comes out, that'll be starting last week. So if you're listening to this <laughs> exactly. now, it's live. 
I, I'm really excited to read it because I think you get into such interesting content in your podcast and some of the guests you've had just, you know, as you know, we geek out on this stuff, but some of the guests yeah. you've had really like helped me learn and grow in the work that I do too. So yeah. uh, I'm excited for it to come out in a book form and have all of those learnings be distilled and you know on paper. Thank you. I appreciate it. There's one little idea in the book that I think is the sort of the weirdest idea that we haven't touched on. If there's a second to just talk about this idea. Yes, please. I think the thing I realized when I started thinking about conversations, this idea of big ones and small ones and ones that are inside and outside is it started to develop a checklist for me of what conversations I was maybe cultivating in my life or not cultivating. So I started to realize that the team conversation and facilitation is something like I'm really good at. And I know that there's some leaders who wake up and go, wow, I'm, I'm really great at one-on-ones, but I'm not really great with this kind of leading creativity or leading teams to have a sustaining conversation without me. But it also woke me up to like, wow, I'm not taking care of myself. My self-conversation is a thing. Through the, through the research and, and all this exploration, I was like, oh my God, there's, there's an internal conversation. And, and all of the people, all the leaders I talk to on the podcast, it always comes up that they've got some sort of a self-care practice, whether or a reflection practice like meditation, they make sure they get outdoors. They find a way to make sure that they cultivate and sustain their internal conversation. They find a way to cultivate and sustain a conversation with a community. And so one of the lessons of the book is that there are nine conversations to think about if you want to really feel like a whole leader. And it's been a real awakening for me to think about all these different aspects to make sure that I'm taking care of myself and taking care of my world. And I, and I hope that I hope that people read the book and start taking care of some of the bigger conversations in the world, like changing how companies work and changing some of the rules we live in as a society. These are bigger conversations that really do need some love and attention. Thank you. Thank you for bringing that up. That's amazing. And now I'm even more excited to read it. Okay. So now we are officially coming to the end. Um, yes. where, where can people find you? I'll put all this, the links in the show notes, but give us the shout outs for where everyone can find you. Yeah. It's very simple. Uh, at my podcast site, theconversationfactory.com, they can see the video for the, the book pre-order launch that's live now. And they can find me personally at danielstillman.com and DA Stillman on Twitter. That's a place where I go sometimes. But the podcast site, uh, The Conversation Factor, is really the best place to find me. Awesome. Thank you so much, Daniel. This has been really a pleasure and a wonderful conversation. You're a rock star. Thank you so much for making the time to connect. I really appreciate it. I know Daniel and I covered so much in this conversation. So a few quick things to note. Daniel is doing a book giveaway, nine of his favorite books. The link will be in the show notes along with the link for the presale of his new book, Nine Conversations, which you should totally check out. He's running a fantastic presale offer similar to Kickstarter where you can purchase different levels of books and consulting or workshops, and it's a great deal. So you definitely won't want to miss it. And lastly, Don't forget about my challenge and giveaways, 100 ratings, 20 reviews, all on iTunes. Please help make it happen. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Meetings are one of the most critical components of healthy collaboration, and teams are at the heart of how we work. 
Meteor helps you use your time in meetings productively, build healthy relationships with your colleagues, and move work forward. To learn how we do it, visit meteor.com. That's M-E-E-T-E-O-R.com. You've been listening to The Modern Manager. You're already becoming a rock star boss of a thriving team, I can tell. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.